You're listening to WLPN 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only labor news and current affairs radio program. News for working people by working people. I'm your host, Jerry Mead Lucero, and this is the Sunday, July 17th, 2022 edition of Labor Express. On the last episode of Labor Express, I aired audio from the 2022 Labor Notes Conference that was held in Chicago June 17th through 19th. On that episode, I mentioned that I would continue that coverage with the following program, which is precisely what I'll do tonight. I apologize, this program should have aired last Sunday, but illness prevented that from happening, so we're a week late, I apologize. I can't stress enough the importance of these every two-year Labor Notes gatherings for the progressive and militant elements of the U.S. labor movement. It really, they really are important gathering points for the best elements of organized labor in this country. And that's why I feel it's worth airing at least two episodes focusing on what happened there. Once again, as I explained on the last two episodes of Labor Express, due to circumstances beyond my control, I was unable to attend the conference this year, and so I've benefited greatly from the Labor Notes staff making so many great moments from the conference available online, which is where tonight's audio is drawn from. Before I go on, I do need to make one further apology, which is uh, the night before I produced our last episode, the U.S. Supreme Court eliminated the constitutional right to an abortion in this country. I lamented the fact on that program that I was unable to address that vitally important issue to all working people on that episode due to the limitations of time. I promised that I would address it more directly on this episode, uh, but I failed to produce a piece on abortion rights for tonight's program. I do recommit to making sure that issue does receive the attention it deserves on Labor Express on an upcoming episode, and I truly regret my inability to do so for tonight's program. Maybe in a very small way, I can make up for this delay by featuring a mostly female cast of voices for tonight's episode, but credit for that goes to the Labor Notes staff for making powerful women labor leaders such a strong presence at this year's Labor Notes conference. I'll start with one of the best examples of this, Sarah Nelson, president of the Flight Attendants Union, AFA-CWA. I mentioned on our last episode that I feel the importance of the Labor Notes 2022 conference perhaps overshadowed the importance of the 2022 AFL-CIO conference. The AFL-CIO conference did make history by electing Liz Shuler, the first female president of the AFL-CIO, to its credit. But the Federation, if it was truly and fully committed to leading a fighting labor movement that we desperately need in this country, it would have elected Sarah Nelson. Her name was in consideration months prior to the AFL-CIO convention, But before the convention, Sarah publicly stated her lack of interest in the position, stating that the way forward for the U.S. labor movement is not under the current structure and operation of the AFL-CIO, something that's hard to disagree with. On the episode of Labor Express Radio, just prior to the 2022 Labor Notes Conference, I aired audio from a program from our archive going way back to June of 2011, uh, an episode that included a speech by Joe Burns, uh, whose book on the importance of the strike to revive the U.S. labor movement I felt was a kind of precursor to the Labor Notes Conference. Well, Sarah Nelson moderated a panel on just this topic entitled Strike, Reviving Labor's Most Powerful Weapon at the conference. Her opening comments before introducing the panel are some of the most powerful that Labor Notes has made available online from this year's conference. So here is Sarah Nelson. Just a little bit more than 100 years ago, she said, if you would only understand that you hold the solution to the whole problem in your hands. For if labor were to hold up in every industry in America, the capitalists would yield to any 
and all demands for the world could simply not go on. For the world could simply not go on. And I just want to take a moment to recognize that what she was talking about, of course, was a general strike. <laughs> and the strike is our tactic, but solidarity is our power. And so, in the workplace, it doesn't matter if the union calls talk like a pirate day, if everybody's doing it, the boss is quaking in their boots. Because it signals a much stronger message. That the workers are united, we can't be divided, we won't let their delay tactics, their distractions, any of it demoralize us, because together, we feel the power of solidarity, and we understand that we have the power, they may have the money and control now, but we're going to exercise our power to take over control for a world that is built for the people, with workers first. Now, there's a whole room here, and there's a whole hotel full of great progressive activists. And we like to put things in terms of the political left. Well, every one of you knows that on the picket line, when we set our demands, when we define what the problem is and set our demands from the shop floor, from the union hall, we have to get to a 90% strike vote or better in order to take on the boss. So there is much more that we have in common in our workplace than anything that could ever divide us. And we can't divide ourselves. And I know that we, as progressives, like to think of ourselves as the underdog. But the fact of the matter is that we are the leaders that are going to save this world. We are the leaders that build this world. We are the leaders that understand that when you bring people together and you find our common interests and you do not allow the boss to divide us, that we have the power to take control and win. And we have teachers from West Virginia in here. We have teachers from CTU right here in Chicago. We have the spirit of the great Karen Lewis right here in the room with us telling us that we can still say the word strike and win. And I know that every single person in here has gone to umwa.org and contributed to the mine workers' strike against Warrior Met in Alabama. Because let's think about this, okay? Labor organized in the millions, quickly, in the 1930s. We had to. We didn't wait for elections. We sat down, we stood up, whatever we did, it was together, and we said to the boss, you are going to negotiate with us. You are going to meet us eye to eye at the table, hear our concerns, and meet our demands. And the United Mine Workers of America set that standard for us. Built the CIO, 
made sure many people in this room could have the unions that they have today. And those miners in Alabama are fighting for the same things that we fought for 100 years ago. I talked to some of those miners who, when they go underground 2,000 feet, mining metallurgical coal, by the way, that is shipped over to China and used to build steel, and then comes back sometimes in wind turbines <laughs> that we buy from the Chinese. Uh, they, when they went underground, they didn't see the sunlight oftentimes. And I talked to some of them who had so much forced overtime or who had to work so many hours because they were working for a paltry wage that they only saw their kids four days in the year because they only had four days off. They only saw the sun four days in the year. Eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours for what we will. That's labor's demand 100 years ago. That's our demand today. And the only way that we're going to get there, the only way we're going to take our productivity back, our vacation, our paid time, paid sick time, livable wage, affordable housing, thank you very much, and not in company housing. I'm hearing some people start to suggest this again. Let's be really clear about what's happening here. We have the stand-up, fight back. And so, so that's what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to talk about. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people and more of our coverage of the 2022 Labor Notes Conference that helped, took place in Chicago last month. Uh, that panel that Sarah Nelson introduced on the importance of the strike to reviving the labor movement uh, featured three people from strikes that happened last year that are really important to uh, rebuilding the labor movement in this country. They included Sarah Pappen from the Starbucks Workers United in Seattle when, where they went on strike even before their union was recognized. Uh, the second voice you're going to hear in this piece is from Kivona Neely from CWA 1133. They struck at Catholic hospitals in Buffalo, New York last fall. Last fall when I was covering the kind of the strike wave that was going on at the time, we did not do a program specifically on the hospital strikes that were happening um, out east, but that was an important part of that strike wave, and you'll hear about that in uh, from her. And then Donna Jo Marks, who is with Bakery Workers Local 364. These are the people that struck at Nabisco, which we did cover on Labor Express. So here's that panel featuring those three strike leaders. So Sarah, what was it like to strike before you even had a union? Tell us about you and tell us about what happened. Yeah, so my store, Fifth and Pike, downtown Seattle. Uh, we are some of the most overworked people, well, I think everybody in this room knows that everybody in the working class is overworked. Uh, that's probably the least controversial statement I'll say all week. Um, <laughs> we, convention season, we're right by a convention center. My life actually looks a lot like what the workers that you see around at these various shops. Be nice to them, because I know what that life is like, and it's very hard. So be nice. We had just convention after convention that was, we were so understaffed for. We were literally breaking our bodies. I messed up my back. We were working so hard running around. The emotional turmoil of spending your entire day frustrated and pissed off and also have your customers frustrated and pissed off at you and then you got to try to be nice about it is exhausting. So the next time one came around, there was a three-day convention. It was going to be the largest convention that we've had since the pandemic. And we all just said, what if we didn't? What if we 
didn't break our bodies, making the store record profit, well, we've been denied a raise after raise, and when you're not making any of that money, none of it, we're tired. So we didn't. We walked out. We cost the store probably about $20,000, $30,000 in three days. <laughs> and in the meantime, we raised $15,000 for the Pacific Northwest Strike Fund. So... Yeah, that's my strike. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> I'm from Buffalo, New York. Um, um, my employer is Catholic Health. Um, it had been a long time coming for us. Um, we represent um, a lot of different job titles in healthcare, registered nurses, um, techs. Um, environmental services workers, dietary, um, pretty much almost every healthcare worker job title, you can name it. Um, for us, our employer tried to take a lot of things away from us. Um, for starters, um, our pension, um, healthcare. You work in healthcare, so you shouldn't have to be fighting for, to have good healthcare benefits or be paying tons of money. It's just ridiculous. And um, we had um, job titles that weren't even making $15 an hour at all. And basically being not even able to survive. How can you, make a, how can you not give your employees a living wage? Um, our other thing was the respect and how we were treated. Um, just tons of things that you face in a workplace, and we just couldn't take it anymore. So we decided to go, we just, we did a, staffing was our biggest issue. Um, ratio to, patient ratio to um, staff, as far as nurses, um, having six and seven patients. Um, in the ICU, should never be having to take care of three to four patients. Um, our aides. Um, Every job title you can name, under, underworked. St staffing was just terrible. So with all of that being said, um, our workers got fed up. Um, we did informational pickets. Um, anything you can name, we did, and we stuck together. We had a lot of solidarity. Um, a lot of our lower-wage workers, dietary, EVS, they were... A lot, they were hesitant on going out on strike, and we understood that. So we had meetings every week um, to let them know we're there for you. Um, we're behind you 100%. We're all in this together. Um, we had a lot of thank you. We had a lot of support from our other local unions. Um, shout out to CWA 1168, who was right by our side. Every second of the day, day in, day out, um, all our other um, locals, Painters Union, um, even Starbucks came out to support us, um, Teamsters, every union you can name, we had their support, um, which helped us tremendously a lot. Being on the picket lines, um, them coming, it helped a lot of our workers to understand and know that they, we weren't alone, we weren't by ourselves, um, we were all in this fight together.
Um, in the end, we were out on strike for 40 days. I will say that was the, the longest days of our lives. <laughs> but we got through it day in, day out. Sun, rain, shine. We were out there. All our members were out there. Um, in the end, we did get a great contract. Um, we still have a lot of work to do. Um, still fighting with our employer, even though we gained a lot. But more so than now, um, we have more solidarity than ever. Our members understand, you know, what we fought for, and they know that we have a fight to continue and that this is not over. It will never be over. Hello, I'm Donna Joe. I'm from Portland, Oregon. And my employer was, is Nabisco, also known as Mondelez. Uh, we went on strike um, almost a year ago in July. We were on strike for 41 days. Uh, we, we went for the same reason that everybody else is going through. But at the time, we thought it was just us. We thought we were the only ones, poor Nabisco. Um, and it's been a long five years we were going, we went without a contract for five years. And in that five years, we lost our pension. Now they want to come for our medical and they just want to take, 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 take. And Portland was the first plant who did a call out day. Everybody was sick that day. And we were the only plant who did it, but it scared the company enough to shut down the other plants because they thought people were going to call out. So we had an idea of how strong we were going to be. Portland went out first, and then uh, there were five of us. Chicago was the last plant that went out, and it was scary. We didn't know what we were going to win, which we did, but we didn't know it at the time. We lost our health care. We, um, we just didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And we felt by ourselves. And then something amazing happened. We had the DSA show up. We had Jobs with Justice show up. We had electrical <laughs> workers, longshoremen, teachers, nurses. It was so many unions, I can't name them all. But it was at that moment that we realized we weren't by ourselves, that we all had the same story. But we allowed these companies to abuse us so much that we were just a relationship and we didn't know to say, hey, this was going on. So when we heard everybody's story and everybody heard our story, we were like, hey, not alone. And because everyone came out and stood with us and we had rallies and we won because of it. The company came to us in the beginning to negotiate the same contract that they offered us five years ago. But once everyone got involved, they came with a different tune. And we got everything we asked for. And I just want to, you know, just say the side note. As I sit here and I look at this crowd out here, it's a constant reminder of how big our army is. We are army. And by ourselves, we're nothing. But together, look at this. You know, and yeah, it's just... It's hard, you know, all my brothers and sisters standing in solidarity is awesome, and we all can win if we all stick together. So, thank you. 
You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only labor news and current affairs radio program. And we're airing audio from the 2022 Labor Notes Conference on tonight's program. So that last panel was on the importance of the strike to reviving the labor movement. Well, one of the uh, more powerful speakers at the Labor Notes Conference that was available online is from Nolan Tab, a John Deere striker. Um, Nolan is not only with John Deere, but he's also with uh, the reform movement in the United Auto Workers, uh, Unite All Workers for Democracy. This strike from last fall was perhaps one of the most important of the strike wave last year. Uh, perhaps the biggest, not just in the sense of the size of the numbers of, its, of the employees involved, there was that, um, and its size, the possibility of its uh, impact on the economy, there's that. But the fact that the strike actually involved the rank and file rejecting the union leadership's pressure to try to accept a inferior contract. That was a really striking, a striking part of that strike um, that was worth, you know, really focusing on. So it's good to hear from Nolan Tab here. Good evening. Is this amazing or what? So let me just start with a little bit of my unextraordinary background. <laughs> As she mentioned, I'm a 12-year rank-and-file member. I am one of 10,000 UAW brothers and sisters uh, that make up John Deere. And collectively, we represent 11 different locals across five states. Uh, most notably, we stood in solidarity next to one another and struck one of Forbes' top 100 companies, and we won. It was truly striketober for us. After five weeks, multiple injunctions filed against us by the company, some of which cited heinous acts like waving signs aggressively. Three tentative agreements. We came out standing on the other side with a labor contract that is absolutely one for the record books. It included a 10% wage increase up front, an additional 10% over the life of the contract, 3% lump sum bonuses every other year, reinstated COLA with quarterly evaluations, protected pensions for all current and future employees. And we did that while retaining our employer-funded health care. Also included with some additional time off that affords us more freedom to use as we choose, not as company-imposed shutdowns. Oh, and at the same time, we were also participating with UAW's successful election of the, of the first UAW's, uh, excuse me, one member, one vote <laughs> referendum. It truly is still very surreal to look back on all of this, but what I really want to talk to you all about tonight was what was going on during our strike on the ground and what we've been doing since. In the first days of our strike, public support was enormous. The media coverage was everywhere. One local newspaper circulated a particular photo that really captured the moment. It was a dense group of picketers making our feelings known to a semi-driver who was crossing our line to deliver steel. Now, it wasn't exactly how the company had characterized us as burned out cars and mobs of strikers looting, uh, but it was a powerful image nonetheless. I happened to be front and center of the image that was making its rounds, all five foot two, 140 pounds of me. Anyway, some members, came to me, <laughs> some members came to me about a GoFundMe that was discovered through social media. It was said to be set up on our behalf through John Deere Strikers, and it also used that image. So naturally, people assumed I was involved, but I had no idea what it was or who had started it. Everyone wanted to know, was it legit? Was it fraud? Who gets to keep all the money, and do we have to pay taxes on it? <laughs> the information available online 
showed that it was a group whose uh, acronym went by UAWD. At that time, I thought it stood for UAW Deer. <laughs> I reached out to the contact list, and it turns out it wasn't fraud, and it didn't stand for UAW Deer. It stands for Unite All Workers for Democracy. I was in contact with a soft-spoken woman who explained that she was a former UAW member turned labor organizer from Boston who was following our strike. She went on to explain that she worked for a grassroots labor movement known as Unite All Workers for Democracy and that they had started a GoFundMe with the intention of just raising enough money to load a passenger van full of water, come down and take a picture, show some solidarity and go home. But that GoFundMe instantly exploded to something like $50,000 in the first 36 hours. She admitted that it caught some of them off guard, and so what they did was they paused the donations just long enough to make some contacts at all of our different locals and bring on support. She, she uh, brought on additional resources. She brought on additional resources and also reached out to everyone they could to establish points of contact. From there, we came together and formed a coordination committee that met through Zoom. Again, this was 11 different locals across five states, a much more difficult challenge than I would have ever guessed. So at this point, having the fundamental decisions made and as much support in place as we could have possible, the GoFundMe donations went live once again. In the end, we raised over $160,000 from donations all over the world in five weeks. $30,000 30, of that came from Bernie Sanders. Mind you, he matched that donation for the Kellogg's workers who were on strike at the same time. Through all the challenges, we successfully allocated these donations to all locals based on what we as a group felt was the best strategy, and all with complete transparency to anybody interested. It included weekly financial spreadsheets shared online with every dollar accounted for. We established a grocery voucher program for members as well as a bulk purchase food bank partnership with a local food pantry. And a group of complete strangers came together and impacted the lives of thousands of workers that were fighting the good fight, and I was one of them. I am forever grateful to have been a part of it and used the opportunity to absorb as much as I could from amazing organizers like Lisa Chu and Nathan Pensler with UAWD. They are truly rock stars. The whole experience stoked a fire in me that I really didn't know I had. I felt compelled and driven to immediately do more. I, I focused on a local level coming out of ratification. There were some gaps exposed, particularly in communication between the locals. So we were standing there in solidarity with one another, but we really didn't know what was going on. Members simply had no idea what other locals were facing. It was kind of more out of sight, out of mind. Nobody knew what their fights were like on the shop floor, what their atmosphere and their culture was like. The line of communication just wasn't something that was there. Even still, some described the climate of our strike as the stars aligning, with the CEO's 160% salary increase, coupled with record profits year after year after year, even during a pandemic when we were deemed essential workers on the shop floor, while the majority of the salary positions worked from the safety of their homes. And not because we were out there saving lives on the front lines like our healthcare workers, but because we live in a consumer-based economy and tragically greed rules the world. There was also a growing labor shortage levering in our favor, and we knew that as well. We knew that not only would it be next to impossible to replace the skill of 10,000 workers, they couldn't even get the bodies to stand in our place. 
All of this emboldened us to stand and fight for what we deserved, but I imagine the power we could hold if we just created that line of communication amongst rank and file members. The power that was to pass all of these circumstantial and temporary conditions in the moment. That became my goal after we ratified our contract and life, quote unquote, returned to normal. One thing I made clear was that I had no interest in placing blame on anyone. There wasn't simply anything to be gained by that. All I wanted to do was affect change and make our union stronger together because there truly is power in numbers. Something else that became apparent to me, given my unique perspective, was the seemingly blind following of UAW international leadership, even if the direction was questionable. For example, the international executive board's decision dictated to our locals that not only attempted to stonewall the efforts from members like me, but also denied local leadership the ability to so much as help get these phone donations to our members, to the extent that we weren't even allowed to use our own halls. It was explained to me that this was best if all efforts were quote-unquote handled outside the hall. It's hard to rationalize how that type of direction can be characterized as being what's best for the membership, which should always be priority number one at every level of any union leadership. <laughs> Beings as it were, I knew my intentions following ratification wouldn't exactly be met with overwhelming enthusiasm, and I was right. <laughs> Uh, but I also knew that there was a grassroots movement happening amongst members and supporters who shared my vision of reform and they were really, really good at organizing. So I joined UAWD to fight and restore power to our membership. I've come, to, I've come to find that I get satisfaction from empowering people who have, held down, who have been held down by corporate greed and betrayed by entrusted leadership. Presently, we're continuing to organize and educate our members as we head into our first ever UAW International Executive Board election. Our fight isn't over. <laughs> Membership selected Constitutional Convention delegates, just like me, who are rising up from within to systematically take back our union. I'll wrap it up with this. During our strike, someone asked me, how are you going to fight Deer and the UAW? Without missing a beat, I replied, I'm fighting John Deere, but I am the UAW. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only labor news and current affairs radio program. We did take a uh, brief station ID break, but when we return, we'll have some of the most powerful speeches yet from the 2022 Labor Notes Conference. So make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for working people by working people. Certainly one of the most powerful speakers that was uh, featured in the audio made available from the 2022 Labor Notes Conference Online was Marsha Howard of the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers. Marsha is not only a leader in the teachers union there, uh, which led a successful strike, but also has been a leader in the racial justice movement in Minneapolis in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And she really focused on uh, the importance of both the racial justice movement and the labor movement and the uh, uniting of those two movements and how central that is. She's introduced here by Elise Bryant of the Labor Heritage Foundation. I say teachers, you say power. I say teachers, you say power. Teachers, power. Teachers, power. Teachers, power. Teachers, power. Our next guest, Marsha Howard, knows something about teachers' power. Yes. Marsha teaches English to high school students in Minneapolis. And is the newly elected vice president of the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers. 
She took a leave of absence in 2020 to help lead the occupation of George Floyd Square. Ah, yes. Yes, she did. And turning that intersection where he was killed into a memorial and a protest site. She's back to teaching now, but still maintains the fire in the square every single day. Marsha was part of the three-week winning strike by teachers and paraprofessionals in this March, which she saw as a continuation of the fight for Black Lives Matter. Please welcome Marsha Howard, Teachers Power. Who's got the power? We got the power. Who's got the power? We got the power. Who's got the power? We got the power. What kind of power? Union power. What kind of power? Union power. Y'all, y'all, listen, listen. Now, I done drove overnight to get here. Overnight to get here. Straight from George Floyd Square in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, how did I get here? On May 25th, 2020, Minneapolis police lynched a black man 263 steps from my front door. I'm five houses in, and it was filmed by my former student, Darnella Frazier. Hold up. Having a student film the lynching of George Floyd, steps from my home, shifted something in me. That Memorial Day altered the course of my life, altered the course of this nation, and hopefully it will alter the course of this world. And this is why. That week, I got on Snapchat, and I said to my kids, y'all got credit, we done here, go seek justice. And I stayed at 38th and Chicago ever since. 38th and Chicago is not just the site of death. It's not just a memorial. It is an active site of protest against anti-blackness, against systemic racism, against the heteronormative patriarchy, capitalism, all of it, all the isms, because black liberation is for the liberation of everybody. Black liberation is for the liberation of everybody. My name is Marsha Howard. I've been a member of Minneapolis Federation of Teachers for the last 23 years. I have been a proud union member for the last 23 years. But I'm going to tell y'all something. What happened at George Floyd Square in Minneapolis, Minnesota, set off a spark that lit a fire that has shone throughout the world that got us to where we are as a union in Minneapolis. I'm gonna tell you this, some people might argue with me. If we hadn't marched for Philando or Jamar or George, I'm not sure we would have had the chutzpah 
to go on that strike, but we did go on a historic strike. Because we understood the power of collective action. We stood in it. We stood in that power. And I'm going to tell you real quick. I've been a teacher for a while. I've been a teacher in the Midwest for a while. And the powers that be seized our racialized and gendered occupation and thought that we wouldn't have what it takes to get out on that line. And they were wrong. Because we were already in practice. We had already been out on them streets. We had been out walking the highways. We had been out on University Avenue and Lake Street. We had already had the practice. So when we were standing for our profession, when we were standing for our colleagues, when we were standing for our communities, when we were standing for those kids, when we were standing for our calling, they couldn't make us sit down. They tried to, but they couldn't. They could not make us sit down. Yeah, teachers, stand up. When education is under attack, what do we do? When education is under attack, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? You better believe that. We stand it up and we fighting back. We stand it up and we fighting back. Hey, don't get it twisted. This is a labor union. A labor union. A labor union. It is not a protest. It is not a demonstration. Y'all better use the power of the strike. You better be willing to stand. You better be willing to stand on that line. Hold the line. Y'all need to. Because if you don't hold that, if it's not a reason, look, huh, listen. We understand the power of collective action. We understand it, but we need to stand in it. And let me tell you, we can stand in it, but if your movement don't got a wheelchair ramp, I don't want no part of it. If your movement, if your action don't have an interpreter, I don't want no part of it. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be, because black liberation is for the liberation of everybody. They say no war, but class war. Y'all better start digging in deep and figuring out who's sitting beside you. Are you going here? Are you going here? The front of the house and the back of the house, because y'all know what the front and the back be looking like. So when we go on strike or when we do negotiations for a union in education, we have to think about what did the front of the house and the back of the house look like? What did the teacher chapters look like? What did our ESPs look like? It, hey, that's some hard conversations, especially in the Midwest and especially for the middle class. Y'all don't want to talk about the fact that as much as teachers complain about our pay, as much as we complain about our pay, there's a reason why they pay our helpers, our associated staff, the pay that they got.
It's relative deprivation and relative wealth. They pay them so low to make us feel good about the pay that we got. And if that don't sit right with you, you need to stand up. If it don't sit right, stand up. If it don't sit right, stand up. Y'all, front of the house, back of the house, y'all need to be careful with that. Toni Morrison said, I don't need nobody on their knees for me to feel tall. We don't need anybody on their knees for us to feel tall. So when you are thinking about fair wages, when you're thinking about equity, when you're thinking about the ways in which y'all negotiate, look to your left, look to your right, look in the front of the house and the back of the house and make sure that everybody's represented. If they say ain't no war but class war, but if I'm still a nigga, we got problems. We got problems. Listen, I sit every single day at 38th and Chicago at two years and I think 16 days, we are the longest running political occupation zone in the United States history. I say no justice, you say no streets, no justice, no justice, no justice, no justice. And we mean that, we mean it. We will not cede unless the 24 demands of Justice Resolution 001 are met. But listen, what we've learned from them two years dealing with the mayor, the county, the government, the governor, and the Justice Department of the United States of America, we have to negotiate with all of them. So dealing with Minneapolis public schools should have been a cakewalk. Hey, but I had to get on a truck every day when we were doing our rallies and inoculate folk and tell them, hey, we might win because they got the money, but they gonna kick going down. Let me talk to you, I'm a country girl. You can bop an animal on the head, they gonna kick going down. So again, if you're doing movement, if you're doing negotiations, if you're doing actions, just so you know, they real good right now with retaliation. You better be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for that. Retaliation is a whole thing. And I need you to factor that in, not to make you shy away. You need to strategize. You need to make sure that you harden your skin a little bit and understand the ways in which they're going to try to come around. They ain't going to win, not eventually, because we the workers and who got the power? Who got the power? Who got the power? All right, we got the power, but you need to stand in it. Because what they wait is for you to get comfortable again and you forget, and you start whispering about your raise and not talking to each other, all right? They gonna wait, and you get good and comfortable again, and they're going to do that clawback thing that they do. Now, Minneapolis Public Schools, you may have heard we had our school year extended. They kicked going down, yeah we did, yeah we did. We had our school day extended as well. They kicked going down. They messed up with that one, because I love the kids. I, I love the kids, but we understood what was happening. I need y'all to know the correlation between this fight for black lives and our fight for our kids in public school, it's the same fight. It's the same fight. Thank y'all very much. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only labor news and current affairs radio program. 
As we wind down our coverage of the 2022 Labor Notes Conference, which was held in Chicago last month, we bring to you a figure from the Chicago Labor Movement that certainly will be a, a familiar name to, I think, most of you, Stacey Davis-Gates, who was uh, moving from the vice president to the president position in the Chicago Teachers Union. She spoke at the conference, and I, her speech was, in many ways, even though it was actually on the, uh, the one of the first speeches, it was on the Friday of the convention at the beginning, in many ways could be seen as kind of a uh, a wrap-up of the whole event, of the whole Labor Notes Conference, and of what we need to do moving forward from that. So I leave it as kind of one of our last pieces of audio from the Labor Notes Conference. Here's Stacey Davis-Gates. Um, I want to welcome you to the greatest city on earth. Even with every flaw, there is no place I would rather fight for justice and equity. Welcome, yeah, to Chi-Town. The next time we gotta get y'all on the south side though with a little flavor. <laughs> That's what we have to do. Um, listen up, Labor Notes. It is absolutely beautiful to see each and every one of you here and not because of the fellowship alone, but because everyone in here intends to do something when they get back to their home. You intend, you all didn't hear what I think you should be intending to do though. <laughs> you intend to go back home and transform. I need to, for you to know that labor is a few things. Labor is plural. We speak in we and us. Labor is action because it doesn't mean anything until you do a thing. And labor is transformative. We change all things. And the only way we change all things is if we understand the origin of power. The origin of power is in the purpose of what we do in our labor union. And in the labor world today, 2022, labor has got to be redefined to include the worker from sun up to sun down. It has got to include the workers, 365, seven day a week, 24 hour a day, life. Workers suffer from police brutality. Workers have their children's schools closed down. Workers are facing eviction because housing is unaffordable. Workers are suffering under unfair immigration policies. Workers are dying because we refuse to include they instead of he or him or she or her. <laughs> Workers are everyone who needs an advocate. And our 
our labor, what we must do is add the and. You can fight for a wage and a benefit while fighting for women's reproductive rights. You can fight for sick days at the same time you fight for affordable housing. And membership means that you are a human being in need of working class love, solidarity, and unity. We don't narrow how people get in. We expand the definition of union. We expand the definition of membership. We expand the definition of workers' rights to human rights. The only people who can do this because they are funded, because they are organized, because they are clear about what the wins entail, are workers. So workers, I'm going to need us to be bold and transformative and redefining and transforming the spaces in which we occupy because we are workers and we are mothers. We are workers and we are daughters. We are workers and we are sisters. We are workers and, 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 and. We have a duty to save this country from itself. So let us, so let us leave here, let us leave here with the love and the motivation to rescue our union siblings and, 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 and. Thank you. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. So the very last voice here we we'll have from Labor Notes uh, is Barbara Mandaloni, who is a Labor Notes staff member. So an excellent person to kind of wrap up our coverage of the Labor Notes conference. And uh, she, I think, makes a really great plug for the importance of Labor Notes. So I wanted her words to be uh, the final ones we'll hear for on tonight's program. I'm Barbara Mandaloni. I use the pronoun she, her. I'm with the Labor Notes staff. And I just want to say... What an amazing three days. Woo! I also want to say happy Juneteenth. Yeah. Today, we celebrate the freedom won by the people who are enslaved in this country, and with that, the ongoing struggle for black liberation. Yeah. And happy Father's Day. Yeah. Here's to building a world where you have all the time you need to father your children. Yeah. That's what they want is our time. We're going to take it back. So it's been amazing, right? Learning from each other about tactics and strategies, about courage and power, all the ways we've been transforming our unions, our workplaces, and our communities the ways we are changing our understanding of what is possible. We've got one more awesome panel this afternoon before we head out. Let's think about how we're going to take all of this with us. 
the courage and the hope and the organizing smarts. Who are you going to talk to? Where are you going to ask them? How are you going to bring people together to have these kinds of conversations? What are you going to demand? What plans will you make? How are you going to take collective action? What collective actions are you going to take? Think about those questions. Answer those questions. And keep connected to Labor Notes as you do so. Yeah. Subscribe to our magazine. Write up your stories of struggle for our magazine. Come to our workshops. They'll be live. They'll be online. When a troublemaker school comes to your city, come to it. Help build it when we're doing that. Labor Notes is all of us. Labor Notes is building working power, all workers together, to win a better world. And that's why there are so many people to thank. So many people that we couldn't thank each individually from the podium. But first, I really want to thank, and I want to give yourselves a round of applause for showing up, for standing up, and for carrying this movement. Give it, to, give it up for yourselves. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only labor news and current affairs radio program. Those comments there by Barbara Mandeloni of the Labor Notes staff were just an excerpt of a full comments, and actually most of what we aired tonight were excerpts from longer pieces. So if you're interested in hearing the full pieces that those were excerpted from or all the other content that we weren't able to cover here on this episode or our previous episode of Labor Express, uh, go to our website, laborexpress.org. Actually, it's our Facebook page, but that's currently our website as well, laborexpress.org. They'll take you right to our Facebook page. And I have linked up there the link that uh, Labor Notes has to the page where they have all of the various videos that they posted from the conference available uh, online there. So definitely take a look at that. Labor Notes 2022 was definitely, I think, an important mo moment in the labor movement and a, a really important critical point for the labor movement in the United States. So I think it's definitely worth taking a look at, uh, at that content. That is all the time we have on tonight's program. Labor Express is a nonprofit 501c3 member of IBEW Local 1220. It's expressed in Labor Express are those of its producers, not necessarily those of IBEW. Labor Express is approximately the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. Labor Express is a proud member of the Labor Radio Broadcast Network, where people's voices broadcasting worldwide 24 hours a day. Find out more at laborradionetwork.org. The song we use our theme is called Worker Songs, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in every Sunday at 8 p.m. or Monday at 11 a.m. on 105.5 FM or lumpenradio.com for more Labor Express. Yeah, this one's for the workers who 